As we begin our study this morning, I'm going to ask a relatively simple question. What do you need to live this life? What do you have to have bare minimum so that you can continue to function on a daily basis in this sin-tainted world in these frail, decaying bodies? I would suspect that medical professionals could give technical explanations for everything I'm going to say, but in its simplest terms, the question's not that hard to answer. You need food and water and some type of protection from the elements. It's the basic driving force for humanity. And I say that with some confidence because I think Jesus said that. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 32, Jesus said, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So if Jesus says, Our Father in heaven knows we need these things, I'm going to accept that we need those things at a bare minimum. Even unbelievers, the Gentiles seek after those things because we realize we've got to have a basic something to keep our bodies functioning. World governments and our economic system are largely based on this. Who can provide the resources so that the people can survive? Wars have been fought over food and water. Billion dollar projects are going on even to this day trying to harness the ability to provide these basic elements of life. Those are true needs in one sense. Experts say that without food and water, most of us would die within two to four days from different things I read. If you had water and no food, you could live a little bit longer. Depending on the environment, you could die within minutes without the proper clothing or the proper protection. So I say that because what we really need from a human level is very little. And yet we live in a world, and most of us, most of who will hear my voice, live in a circumstance with so much abundance that even the person who has the least in this room has more than most people on the planet. So much so that because of the way we live, we've added other things to the list of necessities and we often structure our lives and careers based on getting those other necessities. Now, I'll just use a few illustrations. Smartphone has changed the world. This is a computer with immense power that I can use to communicate with people all over the world. I can call, I can text. I can access information such that most of us, if this broke today, we'd say, oh, I've got to have that. I need it. I've got to do whatever I've got to do to get this back up and running because I can't live without it. Something similar is like air conditioning. We have luxuries at Lakeside. Some of you are hot and some of you are cold, so we're constantly adjusting the temperature, but we have air conditioning. And we live in Florida, so you'd say, well, that's a necessity. You have to have it. No, it's a luxury that most people in the world don't have, including many that live in climates just as hot and just as humid as Florida. I've been there. Some of you have as well. The point is this. We can get mixed up in our minds and start thinking that certain things are needed such that we devote energy and effort to obtaining those things when in reality, if we step back, they're just conveniences that make our life more pleasant. 
If we're not careful, we can order our lives, we can order our careers, we can order our educational system. All that we plan and do can be based on things that don't actually have the necessity that we think. Now, again, it's not wrong to have things. It's wrong, though, when our priorities get out of order and we think we need something that we really don't need. We just want. Now, why am I saying this? Is this message about consumption? No, it's actually about something that we need. Because for a believer, we occupy a different sphere of existence than the masses around us. We're indwelt by the Spirit of God. God himself sent his son to die on the cross. We placed our full faith in him and him alone for our salvation. And the Bible makes it clear that once you've done that, once you've become his child, once you're a part of the family of God, there are true necessities that transcend food and water and what you're going to wear. I'm going to be talking about one of those necessities this morning. It's one of those things that I think we can't live without, although many of us do. It's the kind of thing that I believe for a Christian, if I understand the scriptures and I think I do, this is every bit as essential to you as food and water and clothing and shelter. And yet for many of us, we can go a lot longer than two to four days without this. For many Christians, this essential element of life is missing. And we don't necessarily get the reminder we do when we haven't had something to drink, when we get thirsty and go, oh, I need that. Or when our stomachs grumble at the end of this message and you go, it's lunchtime, I'm ready to eat. No, we can have this lacking in our lives and be blissfully ignorant, or so we think, of its lack. I'm talking about the issue of prayer. Our ability as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to communicate with our Heavenly Father, we speak to Him and He responds to us. Prayer is the means we have of communicating with the God of the universe and we have direct access to Him because of Jesus Christ. Prayer is the tool, the necessary element to unlock many of the blessings that God has promised us, and yet for many Christians, prayer was woefully lacking. It's interesting how simple prayer is. Is food necessary? Yes. We read in our scripture reading this morning, part of the Lord's Prayer, it's also recorded in Luke eleven three. 3, give us each day our daily bread. Do you need help in this world? Do you have troubles? Hebrews 4.16 Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you want peace of mind? Is life difficult? Do you want help with anxiety and things like that? Philippians 4, 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you hate the struggle with sin and your failures? You can have daily cleansing. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
The scriptures make it clear. Prayer is necessary. It is critical. Without prayer, we cannot be what God wants us to be. Our spiritual lives will shrivel up and die, and yet for countless Christians, prayer is neglected. It's easy to get used to not praying because other things seem more important at the moment. And if we're not careful, we can even become so hardened that we don't pray and yet we think we're good with God. But you're not. Given that prayer is viewed as so central to the Christian life for calling upon God for his daily provision and his help, it's not surprising that the Bible says much about prayer. And as I've had the opportunities to preach over the last few months and I've been preaching through Colossians we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 4 and in verse 2, the Apostle Paul is dealing just with that through verse 4. He's dealing with prayer. He's offering his final words to the church. He's coming to the end. There are only four chapters in Colossians. And beginning in verse 7, he's really giving final greetings and naming names and saying different things. This is the end of his teaching to the church. So this morning, we're going to spend some time thinking about and learning what Paul has to teach us about this basic necessity of life for a believer, that is prayer. Now, before we jump into our text, just a little bit of context to remind you, Colossians was written to a small church in a city that, from a political or economic perspective, was insignificant. You pick any town that you could drive through, going through Florida, and there's nobody there, that was Colossae. But Paul knew that there was a thriving church there because a church planter named Epaphras had left the church and gone all the way to Rome where Paul was in prison because he wanted the apostles' help for the church. The church was doing well. That's recorded in the book. But there were dangers facing the church in the form of false teachers trying to lead away the disciples. So Paul wrote the letter to encourage the church, even though he hadn't seen it. He was encouraging them about and teaching them about false teaching, but he was also telling them the practical realities of how to live the Christian life. In earnest, although there's teaching before, but in chapter 3 and then to the first part of chapter 4, he's telling them what it means to live the Christian life. And these final exhortations, including some verses that we'll cover next week, are about how to live amongst fallen unbelievers in this world. So he's going to talk to us about prayer. Follow along with me. I'm going to read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, and then we'll jump in. Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. The apostle gives some admonitions and commands here and some specific requests. And I think from this, we can see some elements of an effective prayer life. Certainly, there are many scriptures that talk about prayer. But if you didn't do anything but obey these scriptures, I believe you would be an effective prayer warrior for the Lord. So we're going to see elements of an effective prayer life. And the first one is this. Prayer must become your lifestyle. Prayer must become your lifestyle. Paul begins with a very simple, straightforward command. Devote yourselves to prayer. He's talking to all of us. 
This isn't a command for the pastors. This is for every member of the church, every believer. Devote yourselves to prayer. These are simple words, but if you apply them, they can be life-changing for you. Devote carries the idea that governs this command. It means to keep doing something, to persevere, to be steadfast, to be courageously consistent, to determine that you're going to pursue something relentlessly and you're not going to stop. As stated this way, when he says devote yourselves to prayer, he's not talking about an activity that occurs at a moment in time. He's talking about an habitual way of life that permeates all you are and who you are. Many of us from our backgrounds can think of prayer as just something we're supposed to do every day and not realize that we're actually supposed to do it all the time, have an attitude of prayerfulness. Prayer is not something where you do it, you did your thing, and you can check the box saying, I prayed today, and you're done. I spent my early childhood, actually, until I went away to college, always going to church every Sunday. I wasn't a believer, and I wasn't taught well what the purpose of prayer was. I just viewed prayer as a very boring part of the church service every week. And given that I thought the entire church service was boring, it just was the most boring part. Because <laughs> you had to close your eyes, well, that makes you fall asleep. I had no idea what it was supposed to be. And there was a ritualistic part of the service that the pastor at some point would pray like what I did after the scripture reading. And the pastor would pray, and then he would say a key word, and the entire church would recite the Lord's Prayer. It was a rope mechanical activity that you did on Sunday. It had nothing. It never occurred to me that prayer was actually communicating with a living God. It was just an obligation, something you do. I still remember, I was taught that you pray, and certainly we had a prayer for dinner time, but I remember praying every night as a little kid because I was told to pray, and 50 years later, I could tell you the words that I used because it was a rope repetition. I used the exact same words, and I prayed in the exact same order for my family. It was just something you were supposed to do. But for a true Christian, prayer is not just some spiritual obligation or rote memory. Prayer is communicating with God himself. God, because of the work of Jesus Christ, opened the door to heaven to us. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. And sadly, many of us don't take advantage of the opportunity. As a child, I only knew one set of grandparents. My, my dad's parents had died when he was very young. So I knew my mom's mom and dad, my granny and grandpa. And my granny was a, a wonderful lady. I loved her very much. But she was a little bit overboard in the religion department. She actually took this stuff seriously all the time. Rarely did she ever go out. But I can remember going to McDonald's with her. And she made us say a blessing at McDonald's. That's so embarrassing. You don't have to pray at McDonald's. But I'll never forget, I was probably an early teenager and I was walking through her house. I don't even remember why. She didn't know I was there. I was probably looking for something to eat or something like that. But I turned the corner and I knew where my granny's bedroom was. And I saw her at the foot of her bed and she had a little kneeling bench with a cushion on it. And she was on her knees 
And I just stopped and I was taken aback because she was pleading with God. I'd never seen anything like it. I remember, even though I wasn't saved, I remember thinking distinctly to myself, she's really talking to God. I'm convinced she was devoted to prayer because she understood that she was talking to the living God. We need to take seriously, like she did, the privilege we have in Scripture, which is prayer. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, we're given an amazing promise. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Paul knew the reality and the blessing of prayer. It's interesting because we'll cover in a later point that he asked for prayer for the ministry. But at the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, he explained how he prayed for this church that he'd never seen. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. And after a few other remarks in Colossians 1.9, he says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul wasn't a hypocrite. He understood what being devoted to prayer was like, and he was giving the command based not only this is what God wants, but he was showing them this is what I do. He was a prayer warrior, a term we often use for somebody that we think prays a lot and effectively. He was devoted to prayer in his life and he knew that other believers needed that same motivation. Paul, as an apostle, was merely commanding us to follow in the footsteps of the original apostles. For example, in Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14... We read this, when they had entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James, verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Prayer was a serious activity for them. In fact, when the busyness of the church... After Pentecost and the church started exploding, when the busyness of the church was distracting them, they delegated certain tasks to others for this reason, Acts 6, 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They took seriously their responsibility to pray. This is what they do. This is who they are. And this is what we need to become. The Apostle Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul wanted this for the believers. They have access to God. They need to avail themselves of it at all time, not just in checking the list. Now, don't misunderstand. There is a time for specific prayer. We read about it in our scripture reading when Jesus said, you step aside to pray, pray in private. Jesus modeled this. 
Luke 5, 16, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness of pray. So don't mishear me. I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for prayer. It's perfect to do that, but it goes beyond that. Being devoted to prayer is not just having those times in the wilderness. It's living with an attitude of prayer at all times. It's done when you wake up, when you're driving, when you're working, when you're eating, when you're fellowshipping, when you're at a ball game, when you're on vacation, when you're at the hospital. It's a heart attitude that springs from dependence on God. If you understand what a weak and frail creature you are, prayer becomes easier. It's such a critical part of the basic Christian life that we see over and over in Scripture the command to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Romans 12.10-13 is a beautiful list of things to do for Christians. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. It's supposed to be a part of daily Christian life. We'll read it in more detail later, but the beginning of Ephesians 6, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Being devoted to prayer means that you don't stop. You don't give up. It's not dependent on a quick answer. Maybe God doesn't say yes for years. You keep praying. Jesus painted the picture of someone who devoted to prayer, who keeps asking, and he used an illustration to make his point that we should keep asking God. In Luke 11, verses 5 to 10, Jesus said this. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will give up and give him as much as he needs. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. So let me stop and ask you. How are you doing in the area of prayer? I'm not asking if you pray at meals or if you get a text that says pray, do you pray? I'm asking, is it a part of who you are? Are you living with an awareness that God is always there and he's waiting to communicate with you? Doesn't mean that you don't live your life. It just means while you're living your life, you're still devoted to prayer. I realize it's easy to make someone feel guilty about praying because none of us prays enough. And I don't want to make you feel guilty. That's not my goal. I want you to change. I want you to do what God wants you to do. I'm trying to exhort you and encourage you from the scriptures to be devoted to prayer. If it's not the habit of your life, make it a habit starting today. If you're a prayer warrior and, and you're saying, I'm doing all those things, well, praise God, keep doing it. But if you're honest before the Lord this morning and you're not devoted to prayer, then confess your sin to the Lord and commit to change. 
Develop the mindset of prayer. It's not just an activity, it's a lifestyle that is dependent upon the Lord and desires to communicate with Him at all times. A prayer warrior doesn't have to be someone else, it can be you. That brings us to the second element of an effective prayer life. Prayer must become your lifestyle. Second, prayer requires your focus. Prayer requires your focus. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. Paul knows that for this to become a habit, for this to be a lifestyle, it requires effort and energy. It requires focus. We must be alert to the opportunities to pray and we must be quick to pray correctly for what's going on around us. And yet it's very easy with life's distractions and all the noise that even with good intentions, we don't pay attention and we don't pray. Or even when we try and pray, we quickly realize, well, I've got something more important that I've got to do now. I read the news, I watch the news like you do. What's happening in the war in Ukraine is really horrific. And you can see the videos and things and the soldiers on the front line read several articles. They realize if we aren't paying attention, we die. There's snipers everywhere. There's drones in the sky. And a little bit of sleep can kill you. If you're not alert at every moment, the danger is that great. But that's in Ukraine and we're here and we don't have a war. Except that we do. We just don't know it. Paul would want to remind us, and I don't doubt part of the reason why he says be alert in this prayer that you're devoted to is because he understands we are in a war every single day. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan and his demons are scheming and stirring up this fallen world to try and stop the gospel and to destroy our witness. When I look at the world and the things that have happened, I realize Satan is active. And it's interesting because many of us, we understand Paul talks about spiritual warfare and if you kept reading, you would talk about the full armor of God and what it is and how to put it on. But it's interesting how he ends that section on warfare. Ephesians six eighteen. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We're in a war every single day. We need to be alert in prayer every single day at every moment because we never know when the attack might come. Now, don't misunderstand me. The way to be effective in prayer, to be alert in prayer, is not to stop living life and just go hole up in a room at your house and wait. You have to live life. And it's okay to actually enjoy life and enjoy good things. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 7 and 9, it says this, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. 
Let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which is given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. God gives good things and as his children we can enjoy those good things. But we still got to be alert. There's even a place for rest and vacation. Jesus endorsed it. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 32. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Never occurred to me, but maybe that's why I like cruising so much with my wife. But even in the enjoyment, even in the times of rest, we have to be alert. We never get to turn off the reality that we are in a battle no matter the circumstances. And when we're living daily life and interacting with the fallen world and fighting our own battles against sin, against our own flesh, we have to realize we can't survive without God's help. We have to be alert in prayer. Even in studying this, I couldn't help but think about something that happened in the life of Jesus when he asked some of the apostles to pray for him. Come, come with me because his heart was heavy. Pray with me. Mark fourteen thirty seven to 38 is one of the places that records what occurred. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Far too many of us are that way when we should be alert, involved in a lifestyle of prayer, we're sleeping. Let me encourage you today, wake up. Do whatever it takes to be alert to pay attention to the world around us. When I see the world and the chaos and I look at America and in the last 15 years, morality has turned upside down and things that are approved, nobody would have even thought of. I don't get mad at all the people. What I see is the work of Satan and his schemes. And even when we're frustrated by those things, it should lead us to pray. Be alert. Remind yourself to pray. Leave yourself notes. Do reminders on that necessary phone that we all carry. Whatever it takes, stay alert. Set an alarm. Because prayer isn't just an activity. It needs to be a way of life and we have to be focused on it. So we come to a third element of an effective prayer life. Prayer must become your lifestyle. Prayer requires your focus. And third, prayer flows from thankfulness. Prayer flows from thankfulness. Paul continues, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thankfulness. I think this is a crucial point. In fact, I think it's more crucial than when I first was reading the text. It requires a little bit of careful reflection, but Paul is telling us something straightforward. Our lifestyle of prayer, which we have to focus on and work hard and be alert in it, cannot exist apart from a thankful 
heart. If you aren't regularly thankful to God, you're not regularly going to pray to God. There should never be a time that we approach God that we don't have thanksgiving in our hearts for what he's done. It's interesting, you'll find commands to be thankful that stand on their own right that are detached from prayer. Whether we're praying or not, we're supposed to be thankful. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, and we actually taught on this a few months ago, Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, we see this repeated. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And this is critical. This is not something that we do when all the stars lined up and we're happy with our lives. It's an attitude that we have at all times because of who God is and what he has done, including what he's done for us. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 8 to 12, we see thankfulness. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and the judgments from his mouth. To cultivate a thankful heart, you've got to take your mind off of all the details here and put your mind on things above. The world has real problems. We have real problems. Many people in our midst are hurting and suffering. Read the weekly prayer guide. The problems of this world are real and they are many and they're never going away until we leave this earth or until Jesus returns. But if we remember what God's already done, if we remember what God's doing, if we remember what God has promised he will do, we have more than enough to be thankful for. And I'm just going to say it this way. If you struggle with thankfulness, I think I have a solution that should, if you're a believer, take care of things. Go home and look in the mirror and realize God saved that person. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. That includes the person in the mirror. Psalm 5, 4, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. That's us. We can't be in the presence of God. Romans 6, 23, A, For the wages of sin is death. Look in the mirror. That's who you are. You have a death sentence. You're on death row, except Jesus came and died in the place of sinners. He died in the place of you. The death sentence is gone. You have freedom. You have Christ. Ephesians 2, 3, and 6. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest... But God, 
being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The God who did all that loves you. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you're like me, when you look in the mirror, you know who you really are. You know what you deserve. But God loved you and he saved you anyway. If that doesn't make you thankful, you're not a child of God. And if you are a child of God, having a thankful heart for prayer shouldn't be difficult. I get it, my life is hard at times, so is yours. When I'm not careful, I get so caught up in my issues that I lose sight and I'm not thankful in the moment, but it only takes a few scriptures to bring me back to realize, thank you, Jesus. And when we come to him in prayer, which he wants us to do, which he commands us to do, we need only remember what he's already done for us, including providing this access to give us the hearts of thankfulness that we need. One of the challenges of this world is that life distracts us. Life is a pressure cooker. You look at our society as a whole and you read secular materials and they say that mental health problems are rampant. Stated a different way, what they mean is anxiety and depression are everywhere. And if you struggle with either of those, I'm not throwing rocks at you. If you read the scriptures, some powerful men of the faith, including the prophet Elijah, struggled with depression to the point where he seemed to be suicidal. I don't making light of anybody who struggles. What I'm trying to say to you is that the solution of the world to those problems is found in a prescription bottle. Or if you look at any major city or even around our area, it's through a needle or through a bottle. What I'm telling you is even if you struggle in those moments, remember the solution is to come to God to bring your request to God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My encouragement to you is that if you're not thankful, you need to do an attitude check because your prayer life is never going to take off if your heart's not thankful. Remember what he's done for you. Remember what he's giving you. Remember the blessing you have even being here on Sunday in this body of believers. And remember that even when things aren't going well for you, the promise of scripture is that God's still at work. You're not left or forgotten. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And perhaps in the midst of your difficulties, maybe you're being mistreated, maybe others are turning against you, perhaps you'll experience one day what Joseph experienced. Genesis 50, 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result 
in his case, to preserve many people alive. God is at work. Be thankful and pray. Brings us to our final element of an effective prayer life. Prayer must become your lifestyle. Prayer requires your focus. Prayer flows from thankfulness. And fourth and finally, prayer should focus on the Lord's will. Prayer should focus on the Lord's will. The apostle, after giving these commands to pray, gives a specific prayer request in verses 3 and 4. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. His personal request is relatively straightforward, and I'll explain it, and then I'll tell you why I think the application that flows from it does. He says, praying at the same time for us as well. Now, what we'll see a little bit later, if you read the chapter beginning in verse 7, he gives greetings from several people that are with him. There's at least eight names. Some are fellow prisoners, but they're all Christian ministry workers that are there with Paul. And he's saying, pray for us. We read earlier in chapter 1 how they were praying for the church in Colossae, were praying for you regularly. Chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 9. We haven't ceased to pray for you. He's saying, will you reciprocate and pray for us? And he says specifically why? That God will open up to us a door for the word. It's interesting. He doesn't say that God will open up the door to the prison so I can go away. He just wants to preach the gospel. That God will open the door. He understands that in the sovereign work of salvation, if God's not moving It's not going to happen. So he's saying, call upon the Lord to open the door so we can preach the word. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, the apostle said this, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. He understood God was opening a door and that's what he's asking them, pray for this again. I won't read it, but in Acts chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, it talks about God opening a door of faith to the Gentiles. So what Paul and his ministry companions were doing was preaching the gospel, and they were just saying, pray for us that the door will open so we can reach more people for Jesus. And he describes the gospel as this, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. They were preaching the gospel, which is really just the new covenant revelation that God was reconciling both Gentiles and Jews to himself through Jesus Christ. Something that the Old Testament didn't fully understand, even though it was prophesied. In Ephesians 3, 4, and 6, Paul describes it this way. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul's prayer at this juncture is for the work of the gospel to expand and continue. He wants more people to hear the word. He wants to preach to more people And it's interesting because he wants to do what got him in jail in the first place. He says, for which I've also been imprisoned. In other words, I preach the gospel, I'm in jail, give me more opportunities, I'm ready to go. Nothing wrong, I guess, for praying for freedom from prison, but that wasn't his first priority. His first priority was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible makes it clear. Paul had some effective ministry. Again, for time's sake, I won't read it, but you can go to Acts chapter 28 and read it. You'll see that Paul was in custody. He had a soldier attached to him, but he had a little bit of freedom and he was able to preach for two years. He's asking for that opportunity even while he's in prison. And he wants to do it well. One of the most gifted speakers of all times, at least in terms of his effectiveness on history, wrote so much of the New Testament. And yet he says in verse 4, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So pray that we have opportunity, and when I get the opportunity, pray that I don't blow it. That I get the words right. That I do what I should do. Paul was all about the will of God. God put a calling on his life, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In other words, Paul had a calling from the Lord, and all he was asking for prayer was, help me do God's will. And that's my point. He wasn't praying for any selfish needs. He was simply praying and saying, pray for us. You're going to be devoted to prayer. You're going to be alert in it. You're going to do it from thankfulness. And while you're praying, remember us that God will open the door for us to preach. Again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's a place to ask for our personal needs. We're told to ask. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer that I read in Matthew chapter 6, it says, give us this day our daily bread. That's personal. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That's personal. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those are all personal requests. I need those every day. But it's interesting what preceded it. In Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The point is we can pray for ourselves, we can pray for our family, but ultimately we need to be praying in accordance with God's will, not our own desires. There are many people to get discouraged in prayer because they're trying to get God to conform to their will, and that's never going to happen. God's will will prevail. It's interesting that Jesus demonstrated this. He didn't just teach us to pray like this. He showed it in real life at the most crucial time in his life, Matthew 26, 39. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He knew what would be entailed in bearing the wrath of God against sinners on his body on the cross. My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. My point is this, that habitual life of prayer should be focused more on God's will than our own enjoyment and desires. In fact, one of the great promises that I read before from 1 John five fourteen. if we go too quick, we miss a key part of the promise. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What is God's will? Certainly you can pray for the things that Paul asked for prayer for. The Great Commission is part of God's will. Go into all the worlds and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We can pray for our missionaries. We can pray for our pastors. We can pray for ministries that are proclaiming the gospel around the world. We can pray for the church to be built up and strengthened. 
I remember in past years, people made a lot of complicated things about God's will. I can't tell what God's will might be for you six months from now, but I can tell you what his will for you is today. Be holy as he is holy. Pray for that. Pray for that for others. Pray for others. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your country. Pray for your church. Pray for missionaries. Pray for your family. Don't simply pray for what you want to be the outcome. Pray for God's will to be done. So today's the day to be reminded. God expects something from us in our prayer lives. Again, my goal is not just to make you feel bad, and I hope you're convicted if you're not praying as Scripture sets forth prayer. But I want to encourage you, God wants to help you change. He sent you His Spirit to be your helper. He gives us His Word with instructions. You want to know what God's will is? It's there. And He gives you the promise that if you're seeking Him, He hears and He's ready to answer. I'm going to close this in prayer. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, forgive us that we're not more prayerful. Lord, I think all of us know of faithful saints that we look at and say, well, that person's a prayer warrior. Lord, forgive us that it's not us. Lord, I pray that you'll change our hearts. Lord, you've given us talents and skills and quite often we rely on those talents and skills rather than relying on our Heavenly Father. Forgive us when we've done that. And Lord, this world is a mess. It's challenging and it's difficult. And Lord, we still struggle against the internal desires of the flesh that trip us up over and over and over again. Lord, we can come up with a thousand reasons why we can't pray more, but help us to realize they're all wrong. You desire us to pray, and I ask that we would do that. Help us all be devoted to prayer as you command. But Lord, I realize there are some hearing my voice who may not even be able to pray. Lord, they need to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. They may recognize they're sinners, but they haven't placed their faith in Jesus. Lord, help them realize there is no plan B. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, that they would recognize not only that they're a sinner before a holy God, but that Jesus became a man to die in the place of sinners for all who would ever believe. I pray that they would recognize that reality and come to faith in Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. And we pray, Lord, that we will pray. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.